Thank you, Keith and choir. Well, Christmas 2014 is now behind us. The Christmas programs have been concluded. We had our Christmas pageant. Thousands of people attended. The one refrain I heard more than any other is that this is the best yet. I agree with that because I say that every year. So we've had the Christmas pageant last Sunday evening. We had the carol, candlelight, communion service, which is a beautiful service. We've had the children's programs, all of those things that are behind us. Now, families have gathered. They have come. Some of them are still here, but they will leave shortly. And we are in the process of returning the gifts. Now, then after Christmas is over, what do we do? What comes next? The holiday is over, Christmas is behind us, what next? Well, I went back to the Christmas story that I could answer that question for myself, and one thing I discovered is that the the wise men came, they worshipped the Christ child, they gave their gifts, and then the Bible says they departed for their own country. In other words, they came, they recognized Jesus, they worshipped Him, they gave their gifts, And they went back to their place of responsibility. Then I looked at the shepherds. The shepherds came. They acknowledged Jesus. They recognized that he was the Messiah. After doing so, celebrating, the Bible tells us then they go back to the flocks. And so they they went back to fulfill their responsibilities, Mary and Joseph. After the celebration, the Bible says that they went to Egypt because of the threat that came from Herod. So... When I look at that first Christmas when Jesus was born, what happened after the celebration? They went back to their responsibilities. The wise men went back to their responsibilities. The shepherd went back to tending the flocks. And Mary and Joseph began to protect the child. But what about us? Christmas is behind us. So what now is in front of us? And I want to make some suggestions to you. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse number 35. And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. There are some suggestions that I want to make for your consideration as we go forward. The first being, value people. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the gifts that we have picked out, the gifts that we have given, the gifts that we have received are going to become old, broken, lost, without value. But people have an eternal value. So invest yourself then in the lives of people, which is precisely what Jesus did. You notice in verse 35, Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus invested himself in the lives of people. Isn't that interesting? That here he is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and yet he saw the value of people. He was always investing 
in people. He went to weddings. In fact, the first miracle he performed was at a wedding. He went fishing with the fishermen. He went to funerals. But he engaged in the lives of people. He involved himself in the lives of people. Many of you do that. You're very social. You're very active. You're very engaged in the lives of people. I've said oftentimes about Steve Phillips, I don't know how he does it, but he's at every funeral, every wedding, every bar mitzvah, whatever's going on, he is always there, involved in the lives of people. But as I look at Jesus, I see that he was involved in people's lives, but his engagement was not one-dimensional. He had a holistic approach to his involvement. For instance, intellectually, it says there in verse 35, teaching in their synagogues. He engaged with man on an intellectual level. The Bible says that he was teaching. So as a rabbi then, he taught the truth of God's Word to them. But teaching is only partial with the impartation of knowledge. It also must be reflected in the life of the teacher. So the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 19, Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word. Now, did you notice that? Mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. So the Bible says then that Jesus went about teaching people He was mighty in both deed and word. It's not just teaching, it is also doing. He was engaged with people, teaching them intellectually in deed and word. You know, people believe what we say when they see us do what we say we believe. For instance, I can teach the truth of God's word to you, but it is legitimized when I do it. I can stand up here and say to you that I believe the Bible to be the Word of God. I believe this to be the truth of God. But as you see me doing it, it is then legitimized. So I look at Jesus. He engaged with them intellectually. He engaged with them spiritually. In verse number 35, proclaiming the gospel. So Jesus then engaged people on a spiritual level, intellectually and also spiritually, understanding the spiritual dimension of man, that man has a spiritual need as well. It isn't enough just to engage people on an intellectual level, but also spiritually. He engaged them spiritually and also on a physical level. He continues in verse 35, healing every kind of disease. Jesus was involved in the lives of people, the Bible says, and he was involved in their physical needs. I think it was last week, week before last, whenever it was, but, but we, were, we were looking in part at the story of the, the man who was at the pool of Bethesda. For 38 years he had been lame, the Bible says. And he was waiting for the angel to come and stir the water, hoping that he would be the first one into the water, because if he were then he would be healed. He could never get there first. And so Jesus came by, and the Bible says that Jesus healed him. At Thanksgiving, we looked at the ten lepers who came to Jesus, crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus ministered to their need, healing them. We've seen Bartimaeus, the blind beggar who was sitting by the roadside. 
And Jesus was coming by and he began to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and he gave him his sight. The point that I would make, and there's so many stories that I, that I could relate and that you know, but that Jesus was involved in their physical needs. We also are to minister to the physical needs of people. And that's the reason that our church is involved in the medical clinic, the dental clinic, feed the hungry, all of those kinds of things. But as I look at Jesus, I see that he was engaged. He was investing in the lives of people. As we go forward from this point, I would encourage you to value people. The gifts, you don't even remember what you got last year, right? I mean, unless it was really a biggie. We don't remember what it was, but people are always valuable. So invest in the lives of people. Secondly, see their needs. In verse number 36, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. When we see, we are prompted to act. When we act, we are able to see. Now, and we need to have a vision here, a vision of need, that there are needs all around us. And sometimes we get so familiar with them or we get so, they are so common to us that we no longer see them. That people are hungry. People are actually hungry around us. Most of us are on a diet, but the truth is there are people around us who are, who are hungry. I went on uh, the Feed the Hungry on Thanksgiving Day and there was a man who came up to me. Sometimes I'm a little skeptical to be honest with you, but... There was a man who came up to me, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, I want to thank you and your church for what you do for us. I believe that he was sincere, and it blessed my heart. It blessed my heart to hear him say that, because it, it make, makes me proud of you as being a people who are involved in the lives of people. We, we live around people who are wounded, and I'm grieved oftentimes when especially... Uh, when, when uh, Philip, when I get around young people, and, and, and I know that for some of them, they don't have the parent in the home, and some of them have the parent in the home, but the parent is not engaged with them, and they are trying to figure out life, and they, and they just need so much. We live around wounded people, people who are wounded, people who have needs, and we need to see them. We need to see that people are lost, that people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, those people are lost and they need, they need the good news that Jesus loves them and that Jesus died for them. You see, we need to have a vision of need, but we also need a vision of potential. We need to see our own potential. My friend, you have the potential to meet needs. You have the potential to meet the needs that require ministry. There are people out there to whom you can minister. And you have the potential to do that. There are people out there who are lost and they need to hear the gospel. And you have the potential to do that. And I know sometimes we, we get a little, you know, a little fearful about that. That I'm supposed to share the gospel, but I don't know how. Let me tell you, when I really got serious about the Lord, when I really became serious about the Lord, I became a witness. I began to tell people about Jesus. Now, I had no training, but I did have a burden. I wanted to see people come to know Christ. And so I began to share my faith. We have the potential to minister to the needs of people, but we also need to have to see the potential of the person to whom we minister. We none of us know what God wants to do with someone else. And we need to see that they have potential. I'm sure that when Simon Peter was thought of, he would say, well, you know, he's a crusty old fisherman. You know, you're never going to do anything with him. But when Jesus looked at him, he said, he's a rock. 
This man is a rock. And that's what he nicknamed him, rock. We need to see that there are needs out there and that we have the potential to meet those needs and they have the potential to do something for God. See the needs. Third thing I would say is show compassion, verse number 36. And seeing the multitude, he felt compassion for them. The word compassion is a verb which means to suffer within. If we are involved with people, we see their needs, and when we see their needs, we are moved with compassion. Now, you'll notice in that verse it says, seeing he felt. Did you see that? He saw them, and then he felt for them. One commentary said, it does not say he saw the multitudes and felt commitment, but he saw the multitudes and felt compassion. Commitment without compassion is always cold and empty. Jesus was committed to eternity, but he was always concerned about the things people were going through in this life. He cared about those who were sick, had compassion for them. The Bible says in Matthew 14, 14, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. I think at this stage in my life that I'm a little more compassionate for people who are sick. I'm, I'm around people sometimes who are really going through a time of illness. I mean, it's a real struggle for them. In some instances, it is a life or death struggle. And my heart goes out to them. There are people in our church, people that you know, people you're thinking of right now. And they are going through a time of illness in their life from which they might not recover. And I, I'm not saying to you that I understand it, but I'm saying to you that I care more than I ever have. You see, Jesus cared for those who were sick. He had compassion for those who were blind. In Matthew 20, verse 34, and move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. He had compassion for those who were poor and he fed them and ministered to the needs that they had. He had compassion for the suffering. He had compassion for the sorrowful. There is a story in the Bible about the, the widow of Nain. Her son had died and there was a funeral procession. Jesus happened to be coming by and when he saw it, the woman was grieved. Her heart was broken. Her son was dead. And Jesus, because of her sorrow, stopped to minister and to bring the boy back to life. He restored him to life because he had compassion for one who was sorrowful. When Lazarus died, the best friend of Jesus, when he died, Jesus was moved with compassion for the sisters and those who grieved. And the Bible says when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. He had compassion for the sisters of Lazarus. He had compassion for those who were poor. Multitudes came to hear Jesus, and the Bible says, And Jesus brought his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have nothing to eat, and I do not wish to send them away hungry. Show compassion. Folks, as we go through life, as we continue after the celebration and we go through See people and have compassion for them. See the needs that they have and invest in them. 
and then determined to make a difference. In verse number 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. When, when we see the needs and feel compassion, then many of us determine that I want to make a difference. I don't want to just live my life. I want to make a difference. And I hope that's especially true with the students in our church, that, that you are determined that your, your life is going to matter and that you're going to make a difference. Now, let me say that it is, it is going to be difficult. It is. It is difficult. For one thing, we're understaffed. There are so many needs. There are so many needs that exist, and we simply do not have enough people to meet those needs, or enough people are not willing to meet those needs. You know, the 80-20, what is it called? I think the Pareto Principle, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, 20% of the people do 80% of the giving, 20% of the people do 80% of, uh, of, of ministry, all of that. That's true. I don't know why. I don't know why. I wish I could fix it. I, I'd like to know what to do. That, that 20% of our people do 80% of the work, do 80% of the giving, do 80% of the praying. It ought not be that way because as long as it is that way, then we're never going to be able to meet the needs that we need to. We're understaffed. It will require sacrifice. If we're going to make a difference then there is a sacrifice that is required at this time of year especially. I think about our missionaries who are around the world and the sacrifice that they have made to share Christ around the world. They have left their homes. They weren't home. Many of them were not home on Christmas. They've left their families. They've done all that. They've gone to a strange place. They're, they've had to learn a strange language. But they are willing to make the sacrifice in order to reach people for Jesus. And I thank God for them. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that is what it's going to take. If we're going to make a difference, it is going to require a sacrifice. I used to hear it said early in my ministry. I would go to a lot of conferences and I would hear preachers talking and, or preaching. And, and they would say that we're, we're only one generation away from paganism. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's pretty uh, dramatic. That's a pretty dramatic statement to make, but it's true. If we don't lead the next generation to Christ, then the next generation is pagan. So we're always one generation away from paganism. I think probably you would share the concern that I have that, that we are just about there. We missed a generation. We have just about missed a generation. We, we have not been the strong witness, the effective witness that we should. And as a result, we have become a pagan society, very pagan society. So we have to do something for the generation that's coming up. We're going to have to double our efforts. We're going to have to do something for the young people, the, the generation that is coming up. And that is going to require sacrifice. I guess that's one of the reasons I am so excited about... Uh, the why, because it's going to be a student building. Our middle school, high school, college students, that's what it's going to be used for. It's a student building. And I can say I am so, I, you, you will be seeing the plans for it soon, but it is going to be absolutely fabulous because it is going to meet the needs of our students. And, and that, but the fact is, the truth is, that is going to require sacrifice on our parts. Unless, somebody, unless there's somebody out there that I don't know and you've got a million dollars and you, and you come up and say, here, I want to give that to, uh, to the wife. But that would be wonderful. You can see me after church. I'll hang around as long as you want. 
Otherwise, it means that we are all going to have to really sacrifice to make this happen. So if we're going to make a difference, it's going to take all of us, we're going to have to sacrifice, and there is always opposition. There's always opposition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, Paul wrote, A wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There are many adversaries. In my lifetime, there have I'm, I've never been aware of so many who oppose the gospel of Christ, who oppose Christianity as we have today. It seems to me sometimes that, that the government has become hostile to Christianity. What's that all about? This country was founded on the principles of God's Word, but government has become hostile to it. I was, uh, not long ago, I was, uh, as many of you know, I was on a trip with Governor Huckabee. We went to Parliament. And while we were in Parliament, we had a worship service in a Christian chapel in Parliament. It's a building of seat about 150, absolutely gorgeous building or chapel. And we had a worship service there. And the governor spoke, and as he spoke, he said, you know, when, we, when our forefathers left this country to establish America, it was so that we could have religious freedom. He said, the irony is that now they, in many respects, have more religious freedom than we do. He said, because you could never have a Christian chapel in the halls of Congress today. See? It seems to me that the government sometimes is hostile to, to, to Christianity, that education can be. We've all read the stories about Christmas carols not being allowed in certain schools and, and uh, the, the mention of Jesus and, and all of that. I thank God for the teachers that, are, that know the Lord who are there. The entertainment industry is hostile to Christianity. So, we have to use the strategy of Jesus. If we're going to make a difference, if you're going to make a difference going forward, we have to use the strategy of Jesus. What is it? Well, first of all, it's to know something. I, I know that there are people who have needs. I know that the gospel is real. And I know that God can use me to share the gospel. I have to know something. If I know something, then I must feel something. Elton Trueblood in his book, The Yoke of Christ, quotes a letter from a girl who wrote, I've been thinking much this year about the importance of caring. I've often realized that it takes courage to care. Caring is dangerous. It leaves you open to hurt and to looking like a fool. I have found many places in my own life where I keep a secret store of indifference as a sort of self-protection. We know something, we feel something, and then we do something. We make a difference. Finally, pray for workers, verse 38. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. All of God's people need to be involved, should be involved. Workers are needed in our community. Ladies and gentlemen, we can curse the darkness or turn on the light. We look at our community, what are we going to do? Are we content to say, I don't like this, I don't, you know, I don't like this policy, I don't like this, uh, this person who is leading there? Or are we going to get involved in it? I would like to see many of you get involved in, in our community, in the city, in the county. Get involved in it. What about education? It, it, is all that we do is just complain about what is not being done in the education system? Get involved. 
Teach. Run for school board. Get involved. Politics. It seems that we are very capable of complaining about politics and the politicians, but we need to get involved. We need to be involved. Governor Nye from Oklahoma is a friend of mine. He was out a couple of years ago, and I was complaining about some, I'll not mention who it is, but I was complaining about a politician. And uh, he said, Wendell, if you want someone who totally agrees with you, then you ought to run for office yourself. And I said, well, Governor, there's one problem. He said, what's that? I said, sometimes I don't agree with me. We need to be involved. The point is, is that we need to be involved. Get out there, be involved, be salt and be light. And that is true in the church, understanding the urgency of the hour. Harry Ironside was preaching in California on the second coming of Christ. There was a lady who came up to him after the service and she said, I don't want Jesus to come. He would break up all my, pl- all my plans. Ironside said, Jesus is coming whether you want him to or not. He is. We need to understand that Jesus is coming back and we also need to understand the uncertainty of tomorrow. This may be someone's last opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can reach them with the gospel and experience the joy of having done so. Franklin Graham was on television being interviewed recently. They asked him as a boy growing up how it was to be Billy Graham's son. He said, well, Daddy was gone a lot. So there were a lot of times he wasn't home. He was gone, and we missed him. He said, but when someone comes up to me and says, I got saved in your dad's crusade, he said, it was worth it all. Let me conclude. Christmas 2014 is over. What now? What now? Value people. People are more valuable than any gift you get or any gift you receive. See their needs. There are people around us who have needs. Show compassion. Have compassion for those who are hurting. And make a difference. God can use you to make a difference. If you're willing. It is not enough for us to criticize the way the world is. When the Lord has placed you here to change the world. We are to be world changers, and God can use you. I pray today that some of you will make a commitment, and perhaps for some of you a renewed commitment, that I am not coming to the end of my life without risk, without adventure, without making a difference, but that when you come to the end of your life, you're able to say, I gave it my all to the glory of God. Some of you need to make a commitment today and some of you need to recommit today because God can use you. Our gracious Father and God, we come to a time of invitation asking that the Holy Spirit speak to the hearts of people. Lord, help us to understand the desperate times in which we live, the importance of our witness and of our commitment. Father, that we will be committed today that we will make a deliberate commitment to you and to your work. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In just a moment, we'll stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. If you'd just like to come and kneel and say, God, I want to really make a difference.
I commit anew my life to you and to your call. Then you come and pray and then go back. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please, as you stand. They sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.